Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing the stories that we're thankful for. And joining us are two all-star guests who, so far as I know, have never met before. We have Kirsta Christensen. Welcome, Kirsta. Hello. And Chris Mav Maverick. Welcome, Mav. Hey, how's it going? You're two of our regulars, and it just felt right to bring you together uh, on this episode. Yeah, it was the epic is... crossover event that we were all looking for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 always fascinating. Um, I've said before on the show that like you know since I know you guys in real life, you know we're friends and everything. It, there's there's points where I forget that you can't hear me when I'm listening to the show. So, <laughs> <laughs> so so I often talk back to my phone, and and so Kirsta is also among the you know there's like like um, there are people who you know I know Kirsta, I know um, Todd Peterson. I've never met mm-hmm. either of them, but you know <laughs> I've never had. I've I've had a cover, never had a conversation with either of them, but you know, I'm used to you know hearing you. So, so this should be fascinating. See, I I have the opposite problem where I'm trying to you know keep track of those parasocial relationships that you have with people, and so occasionally I'll listen to a podcast and think, man, I wish these people were my friends. And then I'm like, oh wait, these people are my friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. This one's real. This is a legit relationship. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. I totally get that. But well, yes, I, I do frequently talk to you guys when you can't hear me. So it, it's a it's a problem. It's a problem in the podcasting world. <laughs> I do enjoy when uh, in the middle of the week, I'll just get a, a a random message from Mav and I can tell, oh, he's just listening to the episode. But I recorded it like a month ago. But now I know. Right. <laughs> I'm like, OK, that's the one that dropped this week. Because <laughs> I, yeah, I don't always listen on the first day, yeah. so it, so it, there will there will frequently be you know if I, if I can't sleep I'll stay up and I'll just do light grading you know I can't grade papers because it's because that's too mentally intensive and I'm trying to tire myself out but it might be three a.m. three a.m. I might just put on a podcast and have it playing in the background while I while I grade grade journal entries and you know and and then, and they don't doesn't take a lot of mental work and it's just like kind of passive work and then then they'll just be. All right, I, I I need to talk about the Dark Crystal. So this is this is <laughs> you're missing things. So I'll just be texting, responding to that episode or whatever. That that's happened on on many occasions. Yes. <laughs> or or um you know or they, particularly when it's one you know when it's one of the books that I just like you know are are just you know now I am invincible. One of my favorite books and I'm like yeah i have thoughts you know so, <laughs> and it might and i might only listen to like 15 minutes of the episode at a time so it might be a text at 3 a.m you know four days in a row as i get like 15 minutes further into the episode mf i just want you to know please keep those coming <laughs> this is not a problem <laughs> Well, for our Thanksgiving uh, special, we're going to follow a similar format to what we did last year. Last year, we had Todd Peterson and Todd Mack on, and we had a set of questions that we had prepared thinking about those stories or creators um, or just aspects of media and storytelling that we are thankful for in various ways. And I think we had prepared eight or nine questions last year and got through two and before we had filled up an hour. So we're going to let... <laughs> Kirsta and Mav uh, answer some of the questions that I answered in more depth last uh, last year, and I'll just be more of a uh, moderator uh, for that portion, and we'll see how far we get through uh, some of these questions. So the first question I think we should tackle is, what is the work you're thankful for? Because it literally has changed your life in like real concrete ways. They can point to it and say, I would not be where I am right now if it weren't for this TV show or this book or this movie or whatever it may be. Uh, Kirsten, why don't we have you go ahead first? Man, that's such a good question. Um, I think, I think for me, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at like my DVDs, trying to see if there's something that jumps out at me. Um, I think probably Pride and Prejudice. Um, that is a work that I came to. I came to via um, a BBC version, not the 1995 version, but the BBC miniseries that was like 19. 19- 80 I think 80 or 81 and my mom really loved it and she would like check it out from the library and so like every couple years or something we go all the way through it and it's like five or six hours and I watched that a lot of times before I ever read it but that particular version um is very it's it's almost like 
like almost all the dialogue is exactly from the book. And so it made it really, really easy for me to read the book, um, you know, because obviously like I knew it was coming and everything. And I think that kind of taught me that like classical classic literature is not a scary thing. Like it's something, you know, and it's, and it's fine to approach it from other directions. It's fine to approach it via a film adaptation or whatever. Um, but it was just not, it kind of introduced me to like, and, and that was something that I just kind of read of my own volition when I was in like maybe late elementary school or early junior high, kind of before we were doing like, you know, the big classics in, in high school or whatever that you tend to read. Um, and it, you know, and no one, I think my, my mom recommended it to be certain, but I, but she wasn't like, oh, you have to read this. It was just something that I chose to read. But yeah, I think that was a good introduction to like, it's fine to read this. It's fine to read classic literature. Um, you don't have to be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get it. And, and yeah, and I think that kind of opened up a whole new world for me where I just was never afraid of literature. Um, and, and always knew that also knew that there would be, there would be other interpretations or texts or things that would help me if I wasn't getting it. And so it was okay to have those and it was okay to, you know, just kind of dive in and and you'd be okay. And you didn't have to worry about like, Oh, this is complicated. I didn't understand it. It would just be like, it's fine. You, you can get it. So it really opened up like the idea of accessibility. Um, Cause there is, I think. An yeah, intimidation yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for saying in one sentence, what it took me a rambling, you know, three paragraphs to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I think it's really interesting with classics. Um, particularly like the classics we get assigned in school. I think there's times where mm-hmm. kids or, or students get introduced to classics like when they're not ready. Like it's it's just they don't have the mm-hmm. right life experience and it really sure. can shut down like the relationship that readers have with classics where it's like, no, nah, those aren't for me. You know, they're boring, they're stodgy. It's, yeah. you know, uh, some weird guy that's obsessed with the light across the, <laughs> the bay. Uh, and I, I just don't get it because they don't have the life experience. Like that, that book yeah. wasn't written for uh, a 12 year old. So why are we assigning it to 12 year olds? Because then they just can yeah. get turned off to all of the idea of like the canon or classics. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that adaptation into film can often be something that can undo some of that or, or at least provide an alternative to, to that. Sure. Yeah. And also, I mean, like, or, or just the idea, I, I think it's interesting, the kind of work where it's like, you need to not know the ending before you watch it. And the kind of work where it is okay to know the ending, mm-hmm. because I also, um, kind of grew up just in this very PBS household and also grew up watching a lot of opera. And like an opera, if you ever attend an opera, it will tell you in the program exactly what happens in the whole story. You know, it is not expected that you're <laughs> going to be like surprised that the soprano dies at the end. And so the idea is like, well, it's not the surprise at the end that is the point. There's something else that's the point. Um, and so, um, oh, and now I've kind of forgotten where I was going. Oh yeah. So, so the idea that like, you can, you can watch an adaptation before you read it. And even if the adaptation kind of quote unquote spoils the ending, like that's okay. Or you can know how something ends before you read it. And I, and going back to Pride and Prejudice, it was really interesting because I was in high school when the 95 version came out and there were a lot of people in my social circle who genuinely did not know how, it, and even for like the five years following that genuinely did not know how Pride and Prejudice ended. And I remember like, you'd be at someone's house and be like, Oh yeah, so-and-so is watching Pride and Prejudice for the first time. I'm like, Oh, it's so great. They're like, don't tell her how it ends. I was like, wow, how could you not know? <laughs> you know? And, and now I think, I think it's as famous Spoilers. as, you know, some of the, yeah, I think it's as famous as some of the big, like big reveals from Star Wars or whatever. Like everyone just kind of knows, but there was a time period, you know, pre-internet being very common and pre this, this, this um this item having its kind of big social resurgence where people genuinely didn't know how this was going to end and they didn't know who they should be rooting for in the love triangle or whatever um so yeah it's i always think it's interesting to approach work from from the those different directions about like you know do spoilers matter do they not matter um what does it mean if a work gets spoiled what kind of work can get spoiled um yeah it's it's just an interesting kind of way of looking at the world yeah, I still remember my Shakespeare professor when I was in undergrad um, telling us, please go read a Cliff's Notes summary of this play yeah. before uh-huh. We, uh-huh. we read it. <laughs> because yeah. you're not going to follow the plot very well if you're still trying to work <laughs> mm-hmm. out the language. And we're going to be talking a lot about the language, so I want you to know the plot. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So when when Kirsta was talking about like the the opera style, where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, it's going to lay it all out. And like, you're supposed to read this in your seat before the show starts yeah. and I was like, Oh, the wishbone treatment. <laughs> I was like, actually a lot of, a lot of, especially like older media is benefited very much from the fact that 
a lot of people watched a little dog portray the man mm-hmm. in the iron mask and, mm-hmm. or, or the mutt in the iron muzzle um, yes. as it, as it was <laughs> um, and, and Frankenstein and all these things. It's like, actually that's a really useful benefit to give some sort of context to not just like the works themselves, but to the references that are going to be made on the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like if you like the, the wishbone one, okay, that's really good for an eight year old to see Frankenstein. Yeah. And then when you haven't read Frankenstein because like, well, yeah. Like when are you going to read Frankenstein necessarily? <laughs> but people start making comments about Frankenstein in episodes of Star Trek or episodes of the right. Simpsons or all this stuff, right? There's, there's reference and you um, live on earth. You hear of Frank, you hear about Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you've got to know things. It's like, okay, but you need to know a certain threshold. And it's like, mm-hmm. actually a certain threshold can be reached pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. then you can appreciate all of this other stuff a little bit better. All these jokes that are being made by people who actually did read Frankenstein because back then or you they would didn't. actually, yeah, or maybe they didn't, right? Maybe it is <laughs> a, a, you can tell an they old brother where are now. Wales film, right? Yeah, yeah. An, an old brother where are that situation where it's like, uh, this is a really successful adaptation of, of the Odyssey. We didn't read the Odyssey. We read a comic book adaptation of the Odyssey and then we did this thing. Um, and so you've got like, you know, these strings, but it's like, Sometimes you just need a half hour to get it. And and so your description of like getting some sort of context and, and having that like cultural association was like, that's actually really, really potent mm-hmm. and useful. Spoilers are spoilers are very much like being concerned about spoilers. This is an internet age thing. This is very much a 21st century complaint that like we just sort of invented in the last few years to be mad about. But, um, but it didn't, this didn't used to be, I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember old, old movie trailers. Like, cause so now we have this thing where people are like, Oh, well the new, you know, Eternals, the new trailer spoils the entire plot. People get mad and like, you know, or, or whatever ghostbusters or, or Spider-Man people get upset about, you know, we don't want to give too much away. Try watching a movie trailer for any movie that came out in the 80s. The plot is in the trailer. And also, like, like, I was see, the scoring the was so die. absurd in those 80s movie trailers. I don't know where they yeah. were getting their, their, their music no. accompaniment. You can, if you watch the commercials for Die Hard, the plot is in the film, is in the commercial. It's like, you know. Come see Die Hard, a story of Bruce Willis, who plays John McClane, who is now in this. And it was, they just tell you the entire plot in the 60 yeah. seconds. And and it's just like, but that's like how we used to do things because people didn't really want to be surprised. That was, you know, yeah. you know, like we're going to go see Star Wars where on the next Star Wars, you're going to find out that Darth <laughs> Vader is secretly Luke's father. Don't miss it. You know, that was like a thing that we did. Um, <laughs> and, and, and people still, you know people still went and saw empire it was fine <laughs> yeah you actually your description reminded me it's like ah i've totally seen that i've watched the trailer for the princess bride and it's like i'm pretty sure they make it explicitly clear that wesley is the dread prior roberts, it's the the roberts. Like, yes that is, is not oh, yeah. that is completely revealed yeah <laughs> yes although i didn't know that the first time i saw it um i, I hadn't seen the trailer yeah. and i was watching it um i was watching it at my grandparents house because they they bought it on VHS, which was kind of a rare indulgence. Oh, that was a, that was and a let me tell you, purchase at the time. Let me tell you, I have all the ads and trailers that come before that went before <laughs> that VHS tape. I have those memorized <laughs> down to the little Hershey's Kisses Christmas jingle <laughs> that was on that commercial. But I didn't know. But I like I guessed that it was, or I was joking that it was. And I said, "Oh, it's it's Wesley." And my aunt was like, "Oh, shh, you know, don't tell." And I was like, "Wait, you just confirmed that it was actually Wesley." <laughs> But yeah, maybe there are a couple people who didn't know. For anyone who just by chance happens to be a first time listener downloading this episode, producer Andrew is the fourth voice that has oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> arisen. Our, our shared delusion that we can all hear. <laughs> well, Mav, oh, th- thank you, Kirsta. I think mm-hmm. that is uh, one of those works that I'm sure some listeners can probably nod their heads to when it's like, oh, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, yeah. That's a, I mean, my, my firstborn is named Lizzie after Lizzie Bennett. So. <laughs> um, yeah, your wife wouldn't a... let you name any kids after Bruce Wayne or, or, or uh, you know, Clark Kent, <laughs> but you did get Lizzie passed. Yes. Uh, Mav, what is what is your uh, story that? Kind, you know, of the, kind of the opposite, you know, talking about like, you know, things being, you know, we're, we're, you're talking about like exposing kids to literature before they had the life experience to um to really appreciate it. Um, 
So mine is uh, Roots. Mm. Not the not the book Roots, but but the miniseries, the TV miniseries based that um, based on the novel Roots, which came out um, on started on January 23rd, 1977. Um, I watched it in its first release. Um, wow. I am old, but <laughs> I am not that old. I was two. <laughs> I was two when Roots came out. <laughs> And that's and the I one with wa- LeVar Burton, right? Yeah, it is the one with LeVar Burton. And yeah. I watched Roots with my mother when I was two um, because my mother was a single mother and we lived in a small a small house. We had one TV and this was, you know, she, she was a she was a black woman living with a living with a baby and she was not about to miss Roots. This was before VCRs. We had no way to record it. So we're watching Roots live and you're going to just watch this with me because um because that's how things worked in the 70s. You know, she wasn't going to miss this experience. She knew it was going to be important. So we watched Roots together and then we discussed it. And that was the first time I did, you know, literary and cultural criticism, which was mm-hmm. at two years old. We watched every episode of Roots as they came out. And then we would discuss Roots with all the life experience that a two year old who's being exposed <laughs> to slavery suddenly <laughs> oh, no. can, can muster. But it gave me an appreciation for, you know, how and, and it's silly because this is a different time where, again, I didn't. I didn't have my own TV as a kid. I, it was the 70s and we were poor. So like even having two TVs was rare and had, certainly not for, you know, a kid. So we so what we were watching and what I was learning to do was just you don't just you don't just take in a story, whether it's on TV or a movie or, or a book. You know, you're supposed to take in a story and then you have a discussion about it and you talk about what you liked and what you didn't like and what you learned from it and what the themes were and what, you know, and this is the, these are the discussions that I had with my mom because, again, she had to talk to somebody and, you know, the only her, her only roommate was a two year old. So that's <laughs> <laughs> so that's just like I got elected. It wasn't really a choice, but I appreciate it because that essentially set me down a path which you know is how i am where i am now right like that gets me to be a person who loves literature and who analyzes it and who you know hosts podcasts where he talks where he does this out into the voids with <laughs> you know for other people to listen to but also you know teaching and everything else this is this is what instilled in me a love of literature and a love of things that are not just books as literature and mm-hmm understanding that uh that stories can be good without you liking them like sometimes Mm -hmm. things are complicated sometimes things are scary sometimes things are problematic and sometimes you have to address them and deal with them you know maybe you should start working on that you know when you're older and more mature maybe five but you know at two (laughs) is where i started (laughs) and i and and i appreciate my mother for that to this day and we still laugh about that like every time i when when i've told that story before usually i don't leave i leave people room for people i was like wait 77 how old could you have been yeah i was two (laughs) that's that's <laughs> that that's that's you know probably in 2021 people be like why are you letting your child watch that you're a horrible parent but my mom didn't care <laughs> no i i think she had her priorities straight yeah i think so too <laughs> yeah I, your mom as far as this podcast is concerned has our full support <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean if you've never seen roots there are some hard parts to watch you know as a middle-aged person again at two-year-old they they whip him you know there's a lot of mm-hmm. there's a lot of bloody it's 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 unpleasant in many many ways which is why we talked about it mm-hmm. do you like how how much do you remember from this experience other than like, like do you have memories of like talking <laughs> about it with your mom now oh yeah i, I think we all yes. have those that it's more like the family story has become our memory more than no the actual moment no i i I remember it vividly. Um, I, I, not a, not a thankful story. My first, my first cognizant memory is a week after my, so I was about two and a half when Roots came out. Um, a week after my second birthday, I, um, was standing on a tricycle, um, with a toy hammer fixing the wall, something I almost Mm. certainly shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been doing, but no one was paying quite attention. And the tricycle, you know, tricycles don't really, have parking brakes they're not so. noted for their stability uh, <laughs> yeah no. no so it shot out from under me and i fell on my face and smashed oh. my jaw 
um, and had to go to the hospital and had mangled teeth. And that's my earliest memory. I'm pretty good after that. Everything after, like my earliest, <laughs> my earliest cognizant memory is smashing and is breaking my jaw at two years old in one week. Um, and so two and a half, I'm pretty good with. I, I remember it vividly. <laughs> and you sat <laughs> there the Yeah, root, Roots is not as traumatic as smashing your jaw when you're two. <laughs> And, and you sat there in the hospital and thought, pro wrestling sounds like it might be fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I started watching wrestling um, with my grandmother, my grandfather around then. So, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both uh, for sharing that. Um, I, I'm going to jump around to maybe a couple of these other questions. We can move around a little bit. Who is a creator you're thankful for? Kirsten, where had you go first last time? So maybe Mav, do you sure. have someone in mind for a creator that you're thankful for? Yeah. I I, <laughs> it's a, I don't know if this is a weird one or a good one. or um, Tom King. Comic book author Tom King, who um, one of my, I mean, and this is with the caveat that I am really, really bad at favorites. Um, and I'm forcing myself for the context of this episode to go with the answers that I wrote down yesterday when I filled out the, this list, <laughs> because typically if you ask me my favorite, any, you know, my favorite five, anything, I'll pick five things. And then by the time I'm done explaining why I will have changed my mind. So I'm not doing that. Yeah. I, I think most Tom of us King. probably have a, a list of like, there's this top tier of creators that I really yeah, enjoy. Like 20, you know, I could, I'm going to go with Tom King because Tom King got me to like Batman. I, I often say that Batman, Batman, I always often say is one of my favorite superheroes, which is kind of misleading. Really? Really, um, I love everything around Batman, except that like Bruce Wayne himself is the most boring part of the Batman <laughs> world. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of Nightwing. You know, I love Harley Quinn. I love Tim Drake. I love, you know, Damien's kind of cool. Um, Alfred. Alfred's got a lot going on. It's kind of interesting, you know, and then you're like, oh, and yeah, I guess Batman's there. Batman is usually <laughs> too much and too perfect. And um, and I and I just kind of like I. I've always liked about Batman. I've liked seeing the story of all these other people trying to live in this impossible shadow. And um, then at one point, uh, I guess it's been like four years now. Um, there's a four or five years ago. Um, Wayne, uh, one of my co-hosts on, on Vox Pop, um, Wayne says, hey, are you reading Batman? And I said, this is after the new 52 reboot. And I was like, no, of course I'm not reading Batman. Why would I do that? <laughs> he goes, you should be reading Batman. And it's like, why would I want to read Batman? No one wants to read Batman. These are like, I'm, I'm not interested. And he's like, trust me, read Batman. And so I started reading Batman. And um, it was the first time I in forever, I remember actually liking an actual Batman story for Batman because he takes a part the character and then he made me care about what was happening to this person and why and and you know and i became interested in it so i just kept I, it, it was the best book that dc was doing and then i followed the creator from batman to vision mm -hmm. and then from vision <laughs> to mr miracle and um and now to batman and catwoman which is hard to read it's a very confusing book but like i'm i'm sure it will be i'm sure when it's done it will be i mean he's just earned my faith now to mm -hmm. where um vision the vision um book i hated the first three issues of i was like this makes no sense and it's awful and then when it was done i picked up the trade paperback and it's like oh this is not a chapter book this is a one large story and this is and now i love it so i assume that's going to happen with his with um his most recent book he's earned my faith so tom king i just he's 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 doing interesting stuff that makes me remember why i love comics the vision miniseries the 12 issues i think is a perfect miniseries in yes. I, there may be comic books that like I, I enjoy more, but that book makes me keep thinking about it. <laughs> Years after I've read it, I'm still circling back to mm -hmm. Vision. We did a podcast episode on it, and I think it was right after we finished recording. Like, Todd Peterson and I were, like, batting around. We could do an essay collection, and we, like, threw out, like, the 12 essays that would be in there without any hesitation. Like, well, we would need one on this, one on this, one on this, one on yeah. this. <laughs> and I'm still thinking about, like, I really need to go edit that essay collection. And you could... And 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 we could easily, you know, just off the top of our head, do twelve more with no overlap. Like I'm sure you could just do, and there's the sequel, Vision Two. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> like, it was there's, like there's so much. It was one of the episodes, and and there probably only been a handful of episodes, but like that episode finished. And it's like, okay, we could just do another episode <laughs> on on that, right? Like like same topic and just 
completely discuss it again. I told the story um, that, on that vision my, episode. I told the story on my show when Andrew was a guest, um, and I'll mention it here. Um, you guys did um, who your 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 episode on Mister Miracle mm-hmm. was the two of you and Todd Peterson, um, I believe, was Todd, Todd Peterson. Peterson. Yeah, and you guys talked about you guys talked about. Um, uh, Mr. Miracle for an hour, like most episodes of the protagonist. And I was riveted because I, because I love your show in general. Um, but also I, one of my favorite books and I listened to it and I was like, this is really good. And you guys, and you guys told the three of you told lovely stories, especially Andrew of what this meant to you as fathers and how this is a superhero story. That's really about fatherhood and about family and about, you know, take about caring about, you know, you know, how your life is redefined by this tiny little person that you suddenly have to care for. And, and it was beautiful. I don't have children. It was a beautiful thing to listen to. And then I and then I remember listening to the episode, calling Wayne, my co-host, and it's like, you have to listen to the protagonist. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, uh, or Mr. Miracle. He's like, oh, great. I want to tell you. And it's like, and I said, but they screw it up. They talked for an hour about Mr. Miracle and they didn't mention that he's suicidal for the entire book. Like, this is a story about mental health and you ignored it entirely. <laughs> but, but like. I didn't mean that in a bad way. Mm-hmm. It was in a good way because I, as not being a father, I'm aware that that's, that is a major through through line of the book, but that wasn't the thing that sung to me as someone who has strug- had mental health problems that he struggled with. That meant everything to me. And like, so I, I think what King's good at is bringing so many layers to where you can tease out so many things and i'm mm-hmm. sure other people will find other stuff in 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 mr miracle but like i like i worried listening to your uh to to that episode i'm like some you know they really should have had a trigger warning because the main character tries to kill himself on the first page of this book and they never mention it <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's kind of a big deal yeah so, you know <laughs> and it's one of those uh, i i think like rereading it that was not more but i think by the time we were you know, 10 issues and you kind of for, you, you forget some of that stuff if it's if that's not the hook that grabs you. And for us, where we were at in our lives, the hook that was grabbing us was yeah. this mm-hmm. parenting. And I think that's the like multifaceted depth that Tom King can bring to a lot of these works is um, that all of that's there in the text and where the reader's at, they're going to be grabbing different things. And I think he's very mm-hmm. successful at that. My favorite of his works is Vision. Mr. Miracle is one that I feel like I'm still trying to wrap my head around fully um <laughs> but it it's one of those like fascinatingly but also a little bit frustrating texts for me where it's like i i think yes. there's so much more here than what i'm what i've pooled uh and vision it's like i'm seeing everything and it's just like opening up before me i feel like mm-hmm. and mr miracle i'm like i feel like i'm trying to grab it and it keeps like slipping out of my fingers as i'm trying to work through it and that's not a criticism of the text i love finding some of those stories that just stay with you and it's like i don't know what i feel about this and that that's okay to, to have that reaction the work is part and, of the text <laughs> um and, and tom king's really saw it right he's he's got many comic book titles under his belt and w- when mav was talking about the batman series like that's the longest run of batman that i own is is the tom mm-hmm. king batman and it's got like my favorite probably my favorite single issue and my favorite two issues um of, of batman yeah yeah, it's it's the date and the, and the one preceding and the one preceding the double date, um, which mm-hmm. I think is the, like the one I like better. Um, I was like, mm-hmm. man, this is really really good for you know just making me think about things in a different way. And then um, I'm currently reading. He's got a a, a Supergirl mini series going right now. Yes, which World is not getting. Yeah, it's not getting as much attention as I think it should be because I think this is really really good and and probably on like the more towards the the vision side of like okay can i actually like consume this without doing too much work where mr miracle is like that's almost too much work um but the supergirl one is like oh this is like pretty straightforward like you can get it mm-hmm. I, I bought I, I have all of them i read the first one and then decided oh no no i have to wait till it's done and read them all <laughs> so that's so they're just they're sitting in a stack <laughs> waiting for them to be all to for it to be over for me to read them all right now <laughs> Because that's how, that's the right way to read Tom King, and it's and I, and I, and I, I want it to be done so I can read it. <laughs> yeah. <be> a present. <laughs> that's one thing with the monthly comics where it's like, okay, this one needs to be read all together. Sometimes it's like, well, that's going to be like a year or eighteen months. It's before. a whole year from now. <laughs> it's, it's already. <laughs> yeah, that's it's all the right. Was real. Well, thank you, Mav. Uh, Kirsta, do you have a creator that you're particularly thankful for? 
Yeah, um, I I had a couple directions I could go with this one, but um, one that comes to mind. So so I'm a as as longtime listeners know, I'm a librarian. I work at an academic library, um, and I'm a cataloger. And part of the work that I do is um, occasionally the Library of Congress will send us um, like a like pre-publication galleys, and then we'll catalog them. Um, and then, so if you've ever like seen a book and looked at the title page and turned the title page and you see this thing that looks like an old card catalog at the bottom of the title page, the, the back of the title page, um, mm-hmm. that is cataloging and publication. And the idea is as soon as this book is published, lots of libraries all over the country are going to want to have a record for it. They're all going to want the exact same information, which means, which is kind of a pain if you always have to like hurry and create these records right when the book is published. But before the book is published, you know 95% of what that information is going to be. You know the title, you know the author, you know the topics, you know the, you know, the table of contents. And so, um, and so for, for major publishers, cataloging publication um, means that you, you get it almost right to the point where it's been cataloged. So you don't do like the final page numbers and you don't do like the final size of the book or whatever, but you get as far as you can with this kind of like late stage galley where a lot of stuff has been locked in. So the, so you get galleys of these books and then you have to catalog it, then you send it back to the Library of Congress and it still feels cool to be doing something official for the Library of Congress. Um, so during the pandemic last year, um, I was, you know, we're all trying to, to deal with all this big change and I was in, um, I had been temporarily asked to take an administrative role in the, in my library that was like a lot more work than it was normally. And the pandemic was on top of it. And so I was like, you know, still (laughs) sending out emails at midnight and it was just this very stressful time. And I stopped reading. Like I was just stressed out. And I think some people like read more during the pandemic, but I, and there was a part where we thought point where we thought the library was going to shut down maybe. And so we are closed. And, and, um, and so I like checked out a whole bunch of books to be like, okay, if we close, then, at least I'll have these books to read and I didn't touch them. So Kisha, um, uh, some people are like making Costco runs. You made a library <laughs> exactly, run. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Hashtag priorities. Yeah. Made a library run. Um, so, um, and, and it was just like a really stressful time and I just could not kind of de-stress enough to just read a book for fun, but I was, you know, still getting these galleys of books to cover books to catalog. And one of them was, um, it was like a historical romance novel. Um, and, and, you know, the, the kind where like the title sort of tells you how it's going to end. And, and I will get to the title at some point, but it's like, like there's romance fiction where you don't know how it's going to end. And there's romance fiction where you like know exactly who's going to end up together. It's just like, how do they get there? Right. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the whether or not this will end sort of happily the way you want to end, that is not, that is not um, in doubt. Um, but the thing about fiction is it can be a little bit hard to catalog because like nonfiction wants to tell you what it is. You know, if you have a nonfiction book that is about, that is an encyclopedia of mushrooms, it will be called an encyclopedia of mushrooms. And like, that's what it is. (laughs) But fiction, and then poetry is even worse, does not want to tell you what it's about. You know, it's about like, you know, join these people on their incredible journey where they discover their terrible family secret. And I'm like, what is the family secret? I need to know the family secret. (laughs) So so fiction can be a little bit challenging to catalog, but I had a little bit of like a publisher's description. It's like, okay, there's this woman and it's in the Regency and all this stuff. And there's this guy who's a captain and, you know, and so I started reading just the first few pages because sometimes you can get like a very specific location or a very specific time period or something else that'll kind of help you, um, help you sort of ground, figure out what's going on with this book so that you can describe it well. Um, and I started reading and it was just like the first, I think it was like a prologue. The prologue was just really interesting. And then the first chapter was really interesting. And then the second chapter was really interesting. And I, you know, at some point I had to kind of stop and finish the record. Um, but I did have this PDF copy of this book. Um, and so, you know, I, I, like on my on my lunch break, I just like started reading it and kept reading it, and then like sent it to myself via email. And then I and then I um, got home and I like the only thing I could read it on easily was like on my phone. So I like read it on my phone on the treadmill for like two days. Um, and it was and it was the kind of book where I was just smiling the whole way through, you know, like and it's and it's a book. It, it goes back and forth between. Um, the male protagonist perspective and the female protagonist perspective, which I realized I really, really like because I think there's a tendency in romance novels to have the sort of like 
gruff, unemotional man. And then like, you learn that like, oh, yes, men who are like, unemotionally healthy, that's attractive. And so at least you see like, from his perspective, what he's thinking, and and you don't learn, you know, you kind of understand where their heads are at. But yeah, I just read the whole thing in like two days. And it was the first book I had read since the pandemic started. This was in like November 2020. So it'd been like a few months that we've been dealing with stuff. Um, and I was like, wow, this is really, really good. And then I was like, well, maybe my standards have lowered, you know, maybe I like, maybe I like, you know, slightly fluffy romance novels, um, which is fine. Like, it's fine to, to like that. But maybe, you know, maybe I just like all these romance novels now that I didn't like before. And so then I grabbed another one that had been recently published and I kind of picked through it and I was like, no, this is not as good. <laughs> so I was like, this is no, bad. it's not. Yeah. And it was like, it was fine. It was just, you know, not very, and, and I don't even remember what it was and I wouldn't name it. It was just not very yeah. compelling. So, um, so the book and then, and then I kept telling everyone about it, but it wasn't out yet because I was doing pre-publication cataloging. <laughs> so it wasn't going to be out until like the following March or June or something. Anyway, the book is called A Captain for Caroline Gray. It is by Julie Wright. Um, and it's it's a Regency romance. And it's about a woman who goes to India who like has not succeeded in getting married in the kind of social season in London. And so she goes to India to kind of see if she can get married to like a like someone like an army captain there, which was a real thing that women did, which is kind of interesting of like, you know, because because there were not a lot of English women in India, like the odds were much higher, but then it was like this bigger risk and it kind of took a lot of money to go there. Um, so that part of it was really interesting. But I just smiled the whole way through. And I think I even reread it after it came out. Um, so yeah, it was it was just this book that kind of rescued me from my my COVID stress um uh, you know, dearth of, of fiction and was just really comforting at a time when the world was really stressful. Thank you. That was a great story. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, I I like that it's something that's so recent, but I, it's also going to be, I think, somewhat universal. It's like that, that stress sure. um, of mm -hmm. that. And I know I've had times where, I mean, between, between work and this podcast, I kind of have to keep reading. But there are times yeah. where I realize, like, I haven't read anything for fun. Where it's like, I'm yes. just, I just want to disappear into this book for a little while. And finding one of those books that can just pull you in mm -hmm. uh, can can just be a, a delight. And I think it can be really rejuvenating. Um, yeah. To 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 do that. Um, I mean, I love doing this podcast, but <laughs> there are definitely been times where it's like, oh no, it's a new month. I'm gonna have to do another novel. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and and it, and uh, it, it can become a stressor rather than like an escape or a release. Yeah. Um, one of the other questions that we have is, um, are there any lesser known works that you've discovered? And I, I mean, I don't know what I mean per se with lesser known, but it's like if I, if I was answering this question, I suddenly said Star Wars, you, you'd know I was wrong, right? <laughs> so right. what lesser known uh, <laughs> means could vary. Your mileage could vary, could vary on that. But is there something that for you feels like a lesser known work that you've kind of discovered in your, and it's made you glad that you, that this is now something that you've consumed? Yeah, lesser known than Star Wars. Okay. Um, so earlier Ooh. this year, so I have I hadn't been to a movie theater um, in, in COVID. I actually, well, I went to I went to see Shang-Chi a couple weeks ago. That's not the lesser known work. Um, <laughs> but I hadn't been in a movie theater for like a year and a half. And I realized one thing I really like is trailers. Um, something about that, like, little taste of a movie, even if you're never going to watch the whole thing, or even if it gets like terrible reviews when it comes out, or even if it's a genre you don't like, I just love that sort of like, Here's a little, you know, here's a little tasting menu of, of movies that are like two minutes each. Kirsta, if you'd be um, interested in seeing the full movie in two minutes, may I turn your attention to 1980s movie trailers? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I realized at some point, you know, they put trailers up online. You could just watch <laughs> trailers if you wanted to. You don't have to be in a movie theater watching a movie. Because um, even if I'm watching like a DVD with friends and they and they skip the trailers, I'm like, you can't skip the trailers. The trailers are the best part. <laughs> so um, so I found I found a couple like I found a um, like a just a YouTube channel that that kind of aggregates all the new trailers that come out every week. Um, and so I've been and so I've been watching those. Um, like they like they they put out the trailers, I think, like on Mondays or something. Um, and so, yeah, every week I'll go through and I'll watch the new trailers, although there were so many Halloween movies and I don't do like slasher movies. I got really, really sick of those last month. Um, 
Anyway, so I saw this random trailer that was for, um, it was for a science fiction film, but like philosophical science fiction, not like special effects science fiction. And it's about this android that is created to be like um, the perfect companion for someone. And then there's this woman who has to like, kind of like test him for a few weeks. And then she's like, she's an anthropology professor. You you find out. Um, and then she has to write, you know, she's basically doing like a beta test of this, of this like Android. And, um, and it, and the Android is played by Dan Stevens. Oh, and the entire film is in German for some reason, because Dan Stevens speaks like fluent German, apparently, which was an interesting thing to learn. Um, but it just seemed very much like what I would call thinky sci-fi that's more, you know, more philosophical, um, which, which is very much my jam. You know, I, I really like a, a science fiction movie that, it you know like it's it's like the best episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation, right? The ones where you just like spend the whole time thinking about the ramifications of you know treaty negotiations on <laughs> on Zolderan Five or something. Um, so yeah, so I saw this trailer for this film, this German film that was going to be released in the U.S., and then I did not see any more marketing for it. But because it was on my radar, I kept looking for it, looking for it, and it's the kind of thing where I wasn't even sure it was going to come to like you know, to a theater in my county. Um, and it didn't, which was annoying. But by the time it came to my state, even, um, it was also available uh, as just um, video on demand streaming. So I, for rent, for rent, not to, not to watch with a, not included with a subscription, but it's called I'm Your Man or um, Ich bin dein Mensch in German. And it's really interesting and it's romantic and comedic, but not exactly a rom-com. And, um, and yeah, it's it's just a really lovely film that's kind of exactly up my alley, and it makes me want to relearn German. Which every time I watch a film in a foreign language, I prom I promise myself faithfully that I'm going to. Well, if it's language I've studied before, I promise myself faithfully that I'm going to relearn that language, and that I never do. Um, but but yeah, it's a it's a really really lovely film, and one that you know I have not seen anywhere except that I happen to be subscribed to this trailers channel, and that I you know that's very much my jam, and, and I could have easily missed it for years if I hadn't um, if I hadn't happened to come across it. Well, I think you nailed the lesser known. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Part of the, of the prompt here <laughs> with Dan Stevens in a know. German film. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but between that and Star Wars, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, you're right. It's kind of neck and neck, but this, but yeah. Star Wars, um, I think, is a little bit more well known. Just a little yeah, bit, yeah, like depending on how yeah. you measure, kind of. Um, and Kirsten, I love having you on because. You always reveal some facet of yourself that is just a delight. <laughs> just little kernels of anytime I watch a German film, I promise myself I'm going to rewatch German. Yes, we've all we've all done that. <laughs> we've all been there. <laughs> Who among us? <laughs> Mav, are there any uh, lesser known works that you are glad you've discovered? Yeah, um, a lot. And again, I'll change my mind five minutes from now. Go We're going to ask you every yesterday. five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, easily. Um, what what I what I picked was um, "Girl" by Blake Nelson. "Girl" is a book that I adore. Um, "Girl" is. Do you remember? Um, and I don't know that any of you ever read them, but do you remember like the how young adult books were when we were kids before they got cool? Because now you have young adult kid books that are you know like you know, divergent or, or hunger games. They're, you know, like, they're like, mm -hmm. they're epics of, you know, people go, you know, even Harry Potter, right. Epics and they're going on adventures and stuff. And it used to just be, here's some kids babysitting. That's what, that's what <laughs> books were in the 80s. And, here's my summer vacation. And, no. no murders or anything. It's literally just yes. school no, ended. Yes. My summer vacation. Yeah. yeah. My parents like, kept working like, and I was home alone. <laughs> yeah. Judy, or, or Judy the, Bloom or wrote, like 40 books about kids who are worried that maybe their kids are getting divorced or, you know, maybe you're having your first period or maybe your, your, your younger sibling just sucks. Like that's the entirety of Judy Bloom's career. <laughs> or, or the sweet Valley high books, which are like, what, what if the most mundane premise possible, but twins. <laughs> right. <laughs> sweet Valley high. Um, yes. Or, or um, the, the other one I can think of is um, the babysitter club. The, the, yeah. There's this, this, this round of books. So girl is a book that, to look at it, it looks like it's going to be that. But what Girl actually is, it's it's a it's a book that is written very much like one of these books. Uh, it came out in 1994, and it is very much written for um, 
again, if you can figure out I was born in 1974 because I said when Roots came out, uh, Girl is written to be um, a, a nostalgic look back at the young adult books of for those of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s, but more what it really was for if you're now doing this in the mid 90s and reading this mid 90s or, or early 2000s. And it is um, it's about this girl named Andrea. And it's about her life in high school, where she is, for lack of a better term, a groupie for a band called the color green in the Seattle music scene. So it is um, imagine something like almost famous, the movie almost famous, but this is written. It's written like it's a high school young adult book, but she's just bumming around the Seattle music scene with her boyfriend and like um, she's kind of a good girl. But, you know, you see the drug scene going on. She worries about sex. She's she's got a friend who is um, a lesbian struggling with her sexuality in the mid 90s, things like that. And it is delightful. And it is real and it is raw. And I don't like not in a not in a raunchy kind of way. Like, you know, it's it's frank. There'll be occasional swearing. There will be occasional sex. It's kids growing up in the 90s. Right. But it is it is frank and real and an honest look at what that experience was to um i found it delightful and the, not only is it a book that I, I love there's a film version which stars dominique swain who was famous for exactly two years from like 1994 to 1996 <laughs> she made like a dozen movies and then like and then she's fallen off the road. like she's i mean she's a good actress but she was like yeah the, she was like the next big thing from like 1994 yeah. to 1996 mm-hmm. and then like it you know it she she didn't she didn't really big thing after that you know um i'm, I'm sure she's lovely i think there's but... a wave of those actresses that yeah. now have a career on hallmark and lifetime christmas movies where it's like I oh they were gonna be big be surpri- <laughs> and yeah yeah i would not be surprised i mean they're still working in the industry yeah. i'm not knocking that at all but it's probably not Checking where anyone saw their trajectory heading yeah um her, her wikipedia page she's had yeah, she she's in she's in post production on two films right now. She had a film in 2020. She got two films in 2019, 2018. I've not seen any of these, and I go to a lot of movies. So so yeah, she's you know still working, but not yes, an A list. Yes, right. So, but uh, but it's a book that I highly recommend. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how. Um, oh, actually, you know where you might know her from. The two movies that you might know her from came out um, around that same time. She's in uh, the the remake of Lolita, not the original hmm. one, but the 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 um, the the 1997 version of Lolita. And um, more of your, your listeners might have seen the movie Face Off with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. I, I didn't see it, but I sure remember the premise. <laughs> Okay. I've seen the trailer. <laughs> oh, well, first off, go see Face Off, fine film. Uh, but also, uh, great, but also, she is the, Dominic Swain is the daughter of, I, it's confusing, you know, the premise of the show, of the mm-hmm. movie. Yes. She's the daughter of John Travolta's character frequently for the for the course of the movie the daughter of nicholas cages because they they switch faces you see so it's confusing but uh but she is the daughter of the good guy in in that in that film and and she's she's great in it and she you know and she makes these you know she makes a bunch of movies over that like three-year period and Mm. you know i forgot about poor dominic swain but like go go the the film is good and the book is really good it is just um like it's not it's 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 not the kind of book where, you know, no one goes off to to like save Panem or or fight a dragon in a maze. <laughs> there, there's none of that. There's no there's no space. It's just a girl trying to like figure out if a boy likes her during the Seattle music scene mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of the 1990s. That's the whole story. And I love it. Um, I've read it a few times and um, it, and I have the sequel. He's written a couple of sequels. Um, one's called Dream School, which happens after after the after the events of Girl. She goes off to college and I and I mean to read that and I haven't gotten to it yet. He wrote it like literally like 15 years later. So hmm. just picking up where and then he's got another one, which is called I don't remember. It's called like Alone in the Big City or something. I, the I don't City Wants You Alone. I'm looking the at his city. bibliography right now. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. And that's also starring the same character. And I, I presume as a young working professional, um, just that, just based on the trajectory, the trajectory of the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. So, 
So yeah, I say I say go read go read Girl, and then everybody's gonna read that and be like, why does he like this book? Because I grew up in the '90s. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, like nostalgia can be a very real uh, tastemaker. <laughs> like, yes. oh right, I remember that feeling. <laughs> Um, I was going to throw out, uh, and again, this mileage may vary on what you count as lesser known, but um, the last couple semesters I've been teaching these surveys of American literature courses, we get to this period in the late 1800s, and I have them read a bunch of um, women authors in the late 1800s, like um, Louisa May Alcott, who's probably the most famous Mm -hmm. of these, but then Kate Chopin, Charlotte Perkins Gilman, Edith Wharton. I like Gilman a lot. Yeah. Uh, oh, Charlotte Perkins Gilman is she's underrated, <laughs> even though she's in all the anthologies. She she should be read all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I just love seeing the reactions of my students um, as they discover these authors. And they're like, oh, this this is so much different than I thought, you know, women authors were doing. And even um, women existed before 1980. Who knew? <laughs> yes. And, well, and even Louisa May Alcott, you know, they know from little women, but I, you know, I haven't read my contraband. Uh, and, and it's like, oh, she was, she was talking about like race and prejudice. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yes. And she was also writing mummy stories and vampire stories too. <laughs> um, yes, my, my students were very big fans of um, reading yellow wallpaper for Mike Perkins this, this semester. So yes. <laughs> yes. That's, that's one that always uh, gets good discussion. We did one episode of the podcast where we talked about Charlotte Perkins Gilman's uh, the yellow wallpaper. And um, it's just this, this group of women when the industry is ready to allow women to have, you know, to be published, to, to be able to tell stories. Um, and it's just immediately, it's like, oh, well, where has this been? Well, it, it could have been. We just denied <laughs> that opportunity for quite a while. Uh, right. and, and that grouping in that late 1800s of, of those women authors who um, are tackling issues of gender and race and class, but doing it with characters that feel so vibrant and alive. I'm just really glad that I have the chance to teach those authors, but also that I have the chance to read those authors. And I try to mix up which readings I do. Cause I like finding new stories um, from, uh, you know, f- from uh, that, that time period. So that's just what I'm going to shout, shout out. Uh, you know, this, this, uh, Oh, like, and just in general, not even a specific one. Like yeah, all I of mean, them. Charlotte Perkins Gilman's <laughs> The Yellow Wallpaper would be the one uh, that it, it just, since I first read it, like I've never forgotten. It. I've reread it several times. And it's like, Oh, there's so much happening. Uh, in that story, and if you want a booklet one, also Charlotte Perkins, Charlotte Charlotte Perkins, Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, she also wrote a book called Herland, which uh, precursor oh, to Wonder I've Woman. Heard of that? Herland is excellent. It is really, really good. It is, it is science fiction, and you know, very much all the stuff that girl doesn't have. Yeah, <laughs> she she knows this is a utopian fiction story about how men ruin everything. So it's really good. All right, I'm gonna have to read that. That's going on my list now. Just if for... only you had a uh, you had a show where you could discuss a book. Yes, you know? yeah, there's if I can find some outlet for this. Um, <laughs> I do just want to note I was reading um, a Harriet Beecher Stowe short story, and uh, I, I want to say it was written in like 18, 1870s, uh, and the beginning of it was talking about. When I was growing up, kids had to use their imagination. They didn't have these weekly newspapers coming filled with uh, <laughs> with stories from around the world uh, that would distract them. <laughs> so I just want to say, feel a we, lot better about my life. The kids these days complaint and new media complaint <laughs> is constant. Yeah. It, it whatever is new is ruining kids these days, <laughs> even if it is a weekly newspaper. The same is true for anything that's ruining language or yes. any culture. Like there's constant, there's like things from the 1500s. Like I am not going to tolerate these new trends in language. <laughs> yeah. The contraction. Um, I, I, how I dare like you? to imagine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like to imagine every single word we use. There was once an Anglo-Saxon mother who was really angry about it. That like, you don't pronounce that word that way. You don't pluralize that word that way. <laughs> We use this Almost S for certainly. a plural. <laughs> Almost certainly, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Mav, was there any uh, question you want to make sure we get to? We're going to have to wrap up very soon. So yeah. if you want to get one final um, look, hit. Yeah. Um, what What was what work is on your mind a lot that you want to revisit, like family you miss? 
<laughs> I have one specific. I have a TV show that I really want to, and, it, and it's not, you know, like I'm sure people heard it's not Riverdale. I'm sure people <laughs> think it's going to be Riverdale. It's also not Manimal. You know, I, 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 this is a, you know, some of my favorites. Again, if you've heard one my two shows, punch of Manimal yes. and Riverdale, who hasn't done a double feature at night? <laughs> yes, not not you know. This is this is one that I have. This is something, and oh, also not Cop Rock, another of my favorites that I mention all the time. Uh, this is you, this you is l- not, eliminated all good media whatever you're gonna I know, say it's i know not gonna well there's be good. one more there's one more show that like um that that i've been afraid to watch um again and i and i i should revisit it because in my in my brain it is amazing and innovative and so so much going on that like i think restructured how television works and i'm afraid to watch it because it could just it like i don't want to i don't want to ruin the nostalgic you know, rose colored lenses version that's in that exists in my head. Um, because what if it doesn't, you know, what if it's not manimal and it doesn't hold up? You know, <laughs> manimal does, right? So, um, but in all have you revisited manimal lately? Just, just, I have. <laughs> I have. Oh, yeah. It doesn't yeah, hold yeah, up. I'm still in. I mean, okay. So, uh, manimal holds up as well as I thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> that is my polite way. I, I am un, I am unwilling to ruin the character that I play on the internet and say that Manimal's not good. Manimal holds up exactly as well as I, as I thought it would. <laughs> um, but but something that I do want to hold up better that I want to be excellent is Max Headroom Twenty Minutes into the Future, mm. which is a which was. For its time, and I've seen other people say this, this is remembered as being a groundbreaking television show that is trying to do something new. It is trying to start the TV renaissance of of changing what television could be. It is serialized. It is experimental. It is dealing with um, with the evils of capitalism it's making marxist statements it is trying to do something postmodern with the medium it is doing something that could not happen and then it gets killed by the writer strike and it is just like there are lots of academic papers written about you know about how brilliant this was and how how innovative and how how special um and i've not watched it in you know i believe it was 1991 or 2 um i didn't check the year um i've not watched it since then um it could be really bad <laughs> and i'm and i'm afraid that it i'm afraid that it's re- that it would be really bad because you know it needs to not be really bad because i would like it to be as excellent as i remember it, it is a story of it is the story of a guy who um Edison Carter gets a head injury. I'm literally doing this from memory because I didn't want to rewatch it and see like a bad review. Um, Edison Carter gets a head injury. Um, they do a brain scan to figure out what was wrong. And while they're fixing him, they make a, a digital representation of his brain scan. The brain scans kind of corrupt it because of his head injury. And it becomes this character named Max Headroom. And Max Headroom is an AI that exists um, on the airwaves, on the television airwaves, 20 minutes from now. He's, he literally, mm-hmm. he, he evades, he, he is a pirate broadcasting sig- sig- signal that doesn't get caught because he's in, he's in the future by exactly 20 minutes. It's a concept that doesn't make sense. It doesn't hold up to scientific scrutiny. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but, but because the concept is in the future, um, you know, like maybe the early 2000s, um, media is such a force that media controls reality. Media controls what life is. Um, politics, everything in culture is controlled by what's on television. It's the only thing that matters. And, um, and so, so much so that there is 24 hour news broadcast to you that you can cater to whatever your politics are. You can only see your own kind of news. This is crazy stuff that you're supposed to, that was supposed to be, you know, but like news just tells you what reality is and people just live it and breathe it. And there's like this, this global communications network that, you know, is unheard of in the present of the 1990s. Um, and this is, this is what this show is. And Max Headroom is just part of it. And, um, oh, it's illegal to turn a television off because like, heaven forbid you, <laughs> heaven forbid you should not be being broadcast to by the, by the mega corporations at all times. Um, and it basically, this show predicts Facebook, it predicts social media, it predicts everything. And then there are this, um, and Max Hedgeroom is just fighting the system. Edison is a reporter for Channel 23 News. Max Hedgeroom is his alter ego 
that keeps breaking in. And then there are this, there's this, um, there's a group of people that are sort of helping him called the blanks. Blanks are people who have decided to live off the grid, off the internet. And they're, they, and since they're not on the internet, they're not, they have no internet profiles. They just don't exist. As far as the as far as the rest of the world is concerned, they are like eighth class citizens. They do not exist. You do not have internet records. You do not matter. And that's this show. And I remember this being amazing. And I'm and I'm scared to watch it. If it's not good, I don't know what I would do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't there not from the official Max Headroom people, but wasn't there like a TV hijack in Chicago? Yeah, there was a guy who who just inspired by it he he did do a pirate signal i don't i don't think they ever caught the guy but like there he was like just broadcasting in a very very bad very cheap looking max headroom suit and but like the show itself i i just i so remember it as being brilliant i want to keep remembering it as being brilliant because because i just wanted to live on in my mind like that and but i but i really want to watch it again and see if it really holds up and, and i don't know what to do so that so that's that's my one <laughs> my my one thing is i i and i've thought about this several times it's like i should sit down and and try to watch the you know and it's only like one season it got killed by the writer's strike um um and the in mid-season they just basically ran out of episodes and the very end of it is um I, this I remember well, and I remember it as being a brilliant moment in television because the series ends with Max Hedrum appearing on camera talking to the home listener um, in vague terms about the writer strike, which he knows um, is coming when he's filming the episode. Because <laughs> it was because if, if you know about how the history of the writer strike, the Hollywood writer strike, they got to they got to the end of the um of the WGA contract and then like Hollywood goes dark for basically like six months. Um and they're just not producing new new content. And they don't have enough scripts to continue the season. They can't go into production. The actors aren't striking, but they just have nothing left to keep going on going on. And the show ends has fine ratings, but like there's just not enough content to keep them going through reruns or anything like that. So he does this speech he said, where he says, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'll ever return, but if not, this will always be known as Max Hedrum's finest hour. And that's how the show ends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I just know Max Hedrum because he still like comes up in references to in, in pop culture. Um, I, I'm pretty sure there's in ready player one, there was a reference to Max Hedrum. Like it, for, for a character that mm -hmm. has such a brief, life you know in their original incarnation it's surprising <laughs> the, the kind of long shadow that it's cast i mean he's no manimal but yes you know one would hope that we all we can't all reach that lofty <laughs> height part man part animal full manimal <laughs> well thank you mav and kirsta for coming on to talk about some of the media that you're thankful for and listeners please feel free to bombard uh, our Facebook page or our Discord channel uh, with any thoughts that you've had about the media that means something to you. That's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows. You can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. Uh, Mav, is there anything you would like to plug? Yeah, I'm on every podcast all the time. Um, <laughs> I host two different shows. I host uh, the or co-host or host. I don't know what, what it was. I'm one of the hosts of Vox Popcast, which is V-O-X-P-O-P-C-A-S-T, where we every week tackle a different pop culture topic and it can be all over the place. We just uh, probably as you're listening, I guess last week, um, we talked about Eternals or no, maybe last week we talked about Dune. I lose track. Um, <laughs> they're both in my past, but like in the future for recording right now versus the past of broadcasting and, you know, podcast time travel is very weird, but listen to our show. It's really fun. Um, and then <laughs> we also am one of the hosts of, uh, of Gosh Golly Wow, which is a podcast devoted entirely to the comic book 
series Excalibur um, that ran uh, from from the 90s. And then we're going to do one episode per week, um, which is one issue. And we're going to do the entire series run. So what am I most thankful for? I'm, I'm thankful for for my my co-host on those shows, for having two shows and for having good friends like you guys on this show that I, you know, the world of podcasting, it really means a lot to me right now. So thanks for having I, me. Everyone's wrong. I think like when I was a kid, what would I think it meant if I like saw myself in my future and said, I'm, I'm a podcaster. What? <laughs> what would that possibly mean <laughs> in my mind? <laughs> it's not a, not a word that even makes it the etymology of it is really weird <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh kirsten is there anything at all that you would like to plug i am uh less creative than the rest of you so i have no other projects to plug so i will plug um the concept of movable type which i feel like Ooh. has really been a useful invention um, so yeah, let's, let's keep going with that. All right, Kirsten, we, we're going to have to have you on more frequently so that we can keep this bit going. <laughs> that was delightful. Uh, listeners, thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. You can take as long as you need to, and for the listener, it will magically appear like you had this on the tip of your tongue. If Andrew helps us out right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs>